Carla snapped her cell phone closed. No answer. I left a message. I heard, I said, sarcastically. She'd found two listings for John Pendergast in the local phone book back at the office. The first call was answered by a man who was nowhere near the 23-year-old cleaning crew member we were looking for. The second number had to be his. Carla said the voice sounded young, but when there was no answer, she left a brief message asking him to return the call regarding questions we had about Crystal Bell. Carla dropped her phone into her purse, pulled out the notebook, and jotted down the time of her call next to the phone number. What? The phone sex operator voice was a little over the top. We were parked in the hospital's visitor lot, headed up to see what we could find out about Ward Deckard. Carla slammed her door, slung her purse over her shoulder, and hurried to keep up with my pace. Phone sex, voice? What does that mean? Your phone voice is two octaves lower than your normal voice. Is there a reason for that? I noticed it in the office, too, when you answer the phone. It is not. Carla looked suddenly uncomfortable. That made me feel bad. A little. Okay, fine. Duly noted. Aside from the vocal critique, was the message I left okay? Yes, Carla. It was fine. Relax. I'm just winding you up. I approached the bank of elevators and hit the button. Well, don't. I don't like it. Carla's eyes narrowed. Well, I don't particularly like your style of dress, conversational tone, or the fact that you won't stay at the office like a normal secretary. But we can't always get what we want, can we? I stared at the numbers lighting up above the elevator doors. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw Carla look down at her beige slacks and green silk blouse. When the doors opened, I headed straight to the nurse's station. What's wrong with the way I dress? Can I help you? The nurse, who saved me from answering Carla's question, sized me up over a pair of tortoise-shell half-moon reading glasses. I pulled my ID out of my wallet. Dexmore, no. I'm a private investigator working on a murder case. We're looking for some information on one of your patients, Ward Deckard. The nurse eyed me warily. You know I can't give you any information, Detective. All I want to know is, have there been any non-family visitors? And his condition? You know, awake, clinging to life, dancing a jig with his discharge papers clutched in his paw? I think you can safely give me those without infringing upon your nursorial oath. Carla blew out a breath and rolled her eyes. Sorry. He's usually much less charming, though. So consider yourself on the receiving end of one of his good moments. He just told me I had a shitty voice and fucked up fashion sense. Can you believe that? Carla, jeez. I cringed. One side of the nurse's mouth ticked up into a grin. She walked over to scan a bank of charts, pulled one out and looked it over before closing and returning it to its former position. He's stable but still unconscious, and the only visitor he's had is his wife. Cops have already been here. Thanks. We appreciate it. Carla pulled out her notebook and flipped the page. Marjorie Deckard. I've got the address. We can head over there now. The nurse shifted her gaze to a room across the hall. The door was open. 
I'm not telling you anything, except Mrs. Deckard has gray-blue hair, and she rarely leaves her husband's side. I handed the nurse one of my business cards. Thanks. If anything comes up that you think we should know, give me a call. As the nurse slid the card into her pocket, I led Carla across the hall, grabbing her arm before she went through the door. No talking. No taking notes. Just listen. Carla nodded once, the epitome of professionalism. Then she reached around and tugged the seam of her slacks out of her ass. Classy, I said. Putting a hand at the small of her back, I nudged her inside ahead of me. Ward Deckard's silver hair blended into the crisp white pillow behind his head, leaving the impression of a face hovering above a cloud. The heart monitor beeped quietly, and an IV bag hung next to the bed, its thin tube disappearing beneath the white sheet. Marjorie Deckard looked up from her paperback, then stood and brushed her skirt smooth. She appeared to be in her seventies, and had an open, honest face with large, questioning eyes set just slightly too close together. Mrs. Deckard, I'm Dex Morneau, private investigator. I've been hired by the family of Crystal Bell. We're looking for some information regarding her case. A girl that was murdered, Miss Deckard nodded solemnly. Yes, ma'am. I wonder if you could answer a couple of questions. We won't take up too much of your time. Mainly, we need to know why she was living at the residence on Rose Avenue, and about her employment with your husband. Well, I'll tell you everything I know, just like I did with the officers earlier. The house on Rose is a rental property. We've had it for about five years. We decided to sell it a few months ago, but the market hasn't been that good. Only a few prospects so far. No offers. Ward let Crystal stay there, because he knew she was having financial trouble. She paid rent, some. I think he had a soft spot for her. She looks like our daughter, Natalie, who lives in Maine. Anyway, Crystal worked for him for a few months, not that long. I think she only came to town a few months back. Seems like I remember him saying she was from one of the Dakotas, but I can't remember if it was north or south. Carla instinctively reached for the notebook in her purse, but checked herself when I glanced in her direction. Do you know if she was a good employee? If she had any trouble with anyone else on the cleaning crew? Any friends you could tell us about? I motioned for the woman to sit, and she did, crossing her legs at the ankles. No, like I told the officers, I really didn't know much about the young woman. Only that Ward said she was looking for a daytime job, but she was having trouble finding something. I got the impression that she was kind of... Mrs. Deckard tilted her head, thinking. I waited patiently, noting that Carla was digging her fingernails into her palms, presumably to remind herself not to speak. The woman's pace was slow and placid. Kind of spacey. Is that the word you young people use? I moved over to the window and looked out, casually. Well, ma'am, I can't say as anyone's called me young in a while. And I don't think I'd use the word spacey about anything other than an alien ship. Mrs. Deckard offered a wan smile. Well, you're young compared to me, Mr. Morneau. Then she looked at Carla. And surely your assistant would be considered young. 
I'll take Young any day, Mrs. Deckard. Carla bit her bottom lip. So, Spacey, in what way? I asked, giving Carla the eye. Mrs. Deckard sighed. Oh, I don't know. Ward mentioned she accidentally left the toilet running one night. You have to jiggle the handle. It's touchy. Anyway, there was a leak in the basement. He had to go over a few nights and work on it. I mean, everyone knows you don't leave a toilet running, right? And another time, he had to go over there and fix the washing machine. He said she overfilled it, and it must have detached itself during the spin cycle. You know how they do when there's too much weight in there, and the thing jumps all around during the spin cycle. Mm-hmm. I used to have a washer that did that. I Carla's voice trailed off and she pursed her lips when I gave her another sideways glance. So, no friends, family, anyone she associated with, I continued. Not that I know of. I only met her once when we had a barbecue and some of Ward's employees came over. Her and that couple, the Wayne Groves. Nice enough, I suppose. The husband's a bit of a drinker. A couple of Hispanic gentlemen and a young one, John. He seems nice. Though, in his case, I think Spacey refers to the reefer. Carla stifled a chuckle. So John smokes pot. Good to know, I said. Oh, don't be hard on that one. He's a sweet boy. Very young. In his twenties. One of those computer types. He was actually my favorite. Miss Deckard walked over to her husband's bedside and straightened his already tidy sheets. The rest of them I didn't interact with much. Kind of a rowdy crowd. I just kept the cooler filled and the table full of snacks. Was Crystal rowdy? Carla asked, eschewing the no-talking rule. Clearly, she decided the no-talking rule was bullshit. I didn't agree, but we'd have to debate that in the car. Mrs. Deckard tilted her head up toward the ceiling and thought about that for a moment. No, not really. I mean... She was sitting there with them all. I saw her laughing a few times, probably just trying to fit in. That Wayne Grove woman, you can't get more than a word or two in with her in the room. So I imagine Crystal was just along for the ride. Now that I think about it, she seemed kind of shy. I can't recall anything she said that night, though I'm sure she did talk. I just wasn't really paying any attention. How long ago was this barbecue? couple of weeks, Mrs. Deckard said. I nodded and turned away from the window. Well, thank you, Mrs. Deckard. We appreciate your time. I took out a card and handed it to her. If you think of anything else, give us a call. I will. Thank you. She picked at the tip of the card and turned back to look at her husband. Do you ever get the feeling that something bad is about to happen, Mr. Morneau? No proof. Nothing to hang it on, just an ominous feeling you can't quite shake. I'd started for the door, but now I turned around, slowly. Once or twice. In my experience, it's an instinct you should trust. Mrs. Deckard looked up from her husband and set her eyes on me. She wore a look that said she knew something, but just didn't know what that something was. I had that feeling the night Ward had the stroke, and I have that feeling now.
I walked across the hospital parking lot behind Carla, watching her scribble in her notepad, mumbling a string of disjointed words. All right. Coda's north or south, not sure. Daughter Natalie. Maine. Barbecue. Two weeks. There was a Hispanic couple. John smokes weed. When she stopped in mid-stride, I bowled into her, almost knocking her over. Instinctively, I reached out to keep her from falling. While one of my hands found its intended target, her waist, the other landed on her right breast. Carla looked up at me and put a hand at her forehead to keep the sun out of her eyes. Well, the elaborate subterfuge wasn't necessary. I'm happy to let you fondle the twins, detective. But Lefty's getting jealous, so you should probably give her a squeeze, too. I jerked my hand away and moved around her to unlock the passenger door. Subterfuge my ass. You're scribbling, walking, stopping in front of me. Can't you wait until we get into the car? No, because someone wouldn't let me take any fucking notes. That woman talked so slow I was having a hard time remembering everything. Carla flipped the notepad closed and shoved it in her purse. I opened her door and, in one fluid motion, kept moving around the rear of the car to the driver's side. I slid inside, starting the car quickly so I could get the air conditioner pumping. At just after five o'clock in the evening, the inside of the vehicle was like a sauna. Give me the notes, I held out a hand, and stop saying fuck. Carla dug the notebook out of her purse and handed it over. As I scanned it, she pulled her water bottle from the cup holder, looked at it for a second, then tossed it over her shoulder into the rear of the sedan. I turned around and looked at it. We using the back seat as a trash can now? Oh, stop your bitch and I'll get it out later. I'm so damn thirsty right now, I can't look at that water and not want to drink it. Even though I know it's teeming with bacteria. I peered at the notepad again, then dumped it in her lap. She'd written exactly what she muttered aloud, nothing more. You didn't include the most important thing Mrs. Deckard said. What? Carla pulled her pencil out of her purse. You can't remember anything else that might have been pertinent. Carla thought a moment, tapping the eraser of the pencil on her bottom lip. Uh Uh-uh. The toilet. The washer. I merged onto the once busy highway, now a corpse of its former self. The immense rusting carcasses of car plants and hundreds of abandoned houses and businesses were now engulfed in a sea of grass and weeds. Miles and miles of Motor City having succumbed to nature's charge. Yeah, what about them? There were two incidents with the house that required Ward Deckard to go there at night. That's what Mrs. Deckard said, at night. Crystal worked nights, so there's a chance he was in the house when she wasn't. Or he was in the house with her. Either way, interesting. Carla wasn't putting it all together. Okay, so we fixed the toilet and the washer. What about it? Maybe. Or maybe they were excuses. We don't know. We're taking Mrs. Deckard's word for it, and she took Mr. Deckard's word for it. We need to find out if it looks like there's been any kind of recent work in the basement. Any signs of a leak. Any signs on the wall around the washing machine. Smudges, maybe. 
something to show us it shook so violently it became disengaged. They have tubes and stuff back there. Yeah, I get it. But how are we going to find that out? Carla asked, scribbling in her notepad. We go back to the house. Won't it be locked? Carla pulled her shirt away from her chest and leaned close to the air vent. I caught a glimpse of the action out of my periphery and purposely kept my eyes trained forward. Yep. And crime scene tape across the front door. So how do you propose we get in? She closed her eyes and turned her head from side to side, pulling the hair off her neck. Then she sat back abruptly, dug in her bag, pulled out a clip and twisted her hair into a knot, clamping the jaws of the clip around it. I almost ran a red light. Every time she did the hair thing, I was mesmerized. There was something inherently feline about it. I'm guessing the exterior basement access door is unlocked. I tilted my head and scratched my neck in an attempt to catch a glimpse of the fine, moist hairs curling at the nape of her neck. Why would you think that, detective? Carla pulled down the sun visor on the passenger side and fiddled with her bangs as she stared in the mirror that hung behind it. Because I left it that way. She snapped the sun visor back up and turned to look at me, eyes wide. Oh, now that is something Detective Bellamy would have done. Carla, I warned. But when she opened her mouth, I clicked on the radio and pushed the number three button on the CD player. Willie Nelson's voice crooned out of the speakers, drowning out any opportunity for her to respond. I parked the car on the side of the street, a block from the house that had seen so much official traffic earlier that morning. Now the gravel driveway was empty, and we quickly made our way around to the backyard and entered the basement through the small door positioned at the foot of three cement steps. I shut the door firmly behind us. I came down here this morning, figured we'd want a chance to look around. I moved around the room, staring at the raw ceiling lined with beams and pipes, trying to get my bearings. I think the bathroom is right about here. Carla came to stand next to me and looked up. I don't see anything that looks like a leak happened or a flood or anything. I pulled a folding chair and stood on it, then reached up and touched the ceiling above my head. That's because there isn't anything. There's no sign around these pipes that he had to cut into anything. No holes plugged with filler. No water stains. If there was a leak, it didn't affect the basement. Let's go up and check out the bathroom. Motherfuck! Motherfuck! I looked down as she backed into the chair, grabbing my legs. What? She released a breath, pointing to a mannequin bust in a shadowy corner. Oh, Jesus. Sorry. I turned around and caught my eye. Fuck, it was like Silence of the Lambs up in here for a minute. Relax. I climbed down off the chair and put it back where I found it. Crime scenes are rarely as creepy as they'd like you to believe in movies. That's just silliness, perpetrated on the public so randy young men have an excuse to put an arm around their gal at the theater. These days, those randy young men, to which you refer, don't need an excuse to put their arms around their gal, because she's already jerking them off by the time the opening credits start. If that's true, it's a clear sign civilization has deteriorated. What, you don't believe me? Carla asked 
following me up the small set of stairs that led to the main floor. I haven't been to a movie in years, and if I'm to take you at your word, that's not likely to change. I mean, I'm not saying it's the rule, but one time I saw this chick slide down on her knees and blow the guy she was with. That's why I always sit in the back now. I don't want to leave the theater with a glob of jizz in my hair because some 19-year-old won't swallow. I stopped abruptly and turned around. Carla, is your main objective in life to say the most inappropriate thing you can think of at any given moment? She shrugged. Sometimes. But that story applied to the discussion that we were having, so I figured I would share it. I turned back around and continued down the hall toward the bathroom. Please, stifle the urge to share. You're so uptight, Morno. You're crude. You really need to get laid. You might be right about that, but it won't be with someone who finds it necessary to pepper everything she says with expletives. I assured her. Really? The cursing really bothers you? Yes. Fine, I'll try to stop. No, you won't. I entered the bathroom. Carla walked up to the threshold and put her hands on either side of the door. You know what? You're right. I won't. I like saying fuck. Fuck, fuck, fuckity fuck. It feels good. You should try it. Come on, Morno. Give me a nice, loud, motherfucking cock-sucking son of a... Carla, enough. My voice reverberated off the tile walls. Ooh, that's good. Now just out of fuck in there somewhere. Wait, let me close my eyes so I can picture you naked, looming over me with a raging heart... Jesus Christ! I raked my fingers through my hair. Can you not talk for a few minutes? Fuck no. I glared at her for a beat, then slammed the bathroom door in her face. I needed a few seconds away from her. That's about how long she gave me before scratching quietly on the door, like a cat trying to gain entry. Morneau, did you find anything? Fine, I'm going to look around. She said through the door. Don't touch anything. Ten fucking four, Mia Moore. I did a quick check of the bathroom but found no signs of a leak or flood, nor any signs of newly placed tile or paint. My immediate task was making sure my plucky assistant heeded my warning. Before I opened the bathroom door, I towed the cabinet under the sink open and grabbed a pair of surgical gloves from a box I'd seen earlier that day. On my way to the kitchen, I quietly opened a door in the hallway, where I remembered the washer and dryer were, checking the surrounding walls for smudges or dings. Nothing. Rounding the corner into the kitchen, I stopped and watched Carla knee the refrigerator door closed. With her back to me, she took a long swig from a can of soda, swallowed, then burped loudly. Nice, I said, causing her to jump. You didn't touch anything for approximately 65 seconds. Oh, relax. I'll take it with me. I did not touch the refrigerator at all. There were three other sodas of the exact same brand inside. I highly doubt that Murkowski or Lash counted the soda cans. She took another sip and then held it out to me. I grudgingly took it from her and emptied it in a long gulp. So did you find the washer and dryer? Utility closet in the hall. I already checked. Nothing there. No damage to speak of. And they're wedged in there pretty tight. 
so if it was jumping around, it would have dinged up the walls in there pretty good. Deckard lied to the wife. Now we have to find out why. I walked around the kitchen casually, looking around. Carla noticed my gloved hand. Wow. You keep plastic gloves in your pocket? Nope. She had a box in the bathroom, under the sink. Maybe she wears them for work. I know I wouldn't clean a public restroom without them. In her line of work, it's probably a good idea to stock up. They're easier to work in than those bulky household gloves. Hey, maybe there's something in there. Carla said, walking toward a desk in the living room. Don't! I tucked the empty can under my arm and waved her away. Fine. I'll go look in the bedroom. Carla headed back down the hall. Don't touch anything, I reminded her. Oh, for God's sakes, will you simmer down? I'll go get a pair of gloves from the bathroom, too. And I won't touch anything in the process. But I'm a girl, Morno, so I would know better than you would where she might hide stuff in her bedroom. Why would you assume she'd be hiding anything? I asked as she disappeared around the corner. I don't know. Ask me again in a second. Nothing of interest in the desk drawer. Two of the lower drawers were completely empty. The top one contained paper clips, a harlequin paperback, a half-used box of business envelopes, a few pens and pencils, and a baggie of rubber bands. It didn't appear that Crystal had been here long. By the way, that blonde hair wasn't natural. Carla yelled from the bathroom. 20 volume peroxide under the sink. So she dyed her hair. Big deal. Unless she'd done it to change her looks dramatically for some reason. But something about that tickled the back of my consciousness. Something having nothing to do with Crystal Bell and everything to do with Carla. I searched for about five more minutes but found nothing of import. Then Carla yelled from the bedroom. Hey Morneau, come here. 